Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're going to jump back in to this episode about gut health. This is a part two, picking up from last week and the final part. Last week we talked about gut health, the microbiome, the hundred trillion microorganisms in the gut. The thing that still blows my mind is that that's 10 times more bacteria than we have human cells. Excuse me while my brain implodes on itself. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> we explained about how all of those trillions of bacteria can affect the full body. And we talked about probiotics and prebiotics and resistant starch. And we also wanted to remind you, you know, just in case you haven't listened to part one, this would be, you know, a way to tempt you into listening to that. We told a lovely story about Amy mailing off a stool sample from our place of work. Oh, what a nice story. <laughs> it was a nice story, yes. All right, so I don't know about you, but I'm personally excited to learn some more ways to help our gut. So let's get going. First, though, I just want to remind everyone that, like we said in the last episode, these are just ideas for improving gut health. So what you need is going to be specific to you, to your gut health, and to your symptoms. So you don't need to do all of these. Brittany and I certainly don't do all of these, nor do we plan to. Apart from having good digestion and chewing your food, which we're going to talk about in a minute. The rest of the tips like intermittent fasting or getting a water filter or eating fermented foods, these are just ideas that you can take them or you can leave them. For some of us, working on our gut health is a big piece of the puzzle to improving our quality of life. But since we're all individuals, other people may find that their time and energy and money is better spent addressing their healing in another way like doing pelvic floor therapy or going on hormone replacement therapy, etc. So, if any of these ideas pique your interest, fabulous. Research them further. And if none of them pique your interest, well, that's fine too. You don't have to do any of them, so don't feel pressure. I think the first really easy place that we can start to help our gut is with our digestion. Help it do its thing. I knew nothing about digestion. I think a lot of us don't think about our digestion. It's like one of those automatic processes that happen in our body, like breathing and our heart beating and 
Now I've thought about breathing and Brittany's arms flapping. Manu- now I have to be manual when I think about breathing too much and how it's automatic. Then I'm like, okay. <laughs> in and out, Brittany. In and out. In the Manage nostrils, my stress. in Manage the mouth, stress. maybe okay. through the ear hole. Don't think about automatic processes. It just makes your brain like short. <laughs> so I got really into learning about my digestion when I had severe gastritis. If you ever had gastritis, one of the main reasons for having gastritis is that you're not producing enough stomach acid, which was my case. By the way, thank you, NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory painkillers that I've been popping for a very long time to control my endo pain that completely ruined my stomach lining. Bye-bye, stomach lining. The best thing about eating food when you have gastritis is the way it sits in your stomach like a rock. (laughs) (laughs) And all the burping that you do afterwards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially those eggy burps. I don't miss that. (laughs) Yeah, gastritis was pretty horrible and it was pretty disgusting. When I was trying to heal my gastritis, something that I learned that's a really like we hear all the time. It's very trite and very cliche, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You're going to be like, oh my God, no, she didn't, is to slow down and chew your food. (laughs) Okay, grandma. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe your grandma always used to say chew your food, but grandmas are full of wisdom. And better chewed food. Grandmas knew how to slow down and chew their food. <laughs> Could they go fast, though, and not chew their food? I mean, they had a little more time than the rest of us okay, to Grandma, slow down and chew their food. Okay, Grandma, are you going to put you in a speed-eating contest? <laughs> There's probably some, like, really metal, cool bomb grandma out there who is in speed-eating contests, okay? She'd be like, all right, cool. I got special dentures for the speed-eating contest. <laughs> My chompers contest. are ready to chomp. <laughs> My chompers. Would that be like... They're all made of metal and, Yeah, like, would that gold. be like, a, a, like cheating, like the steroids of the fast eating world is dentures. <laughs> teeth don't get tired if they're not your teeth. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so what I learned since I don't have those special chomping dentures is that the stomach has the very difficult job of trying to break down what you eat so that it can pass your food into the small intestines. As this kind of like a chewed up, blended, chunky liquid. That's disgusting. Well, Thank you. <laughs> I mean, that's, Whoa. it's pretty gross, but oh, you can go online and really research about your digestion. It's absolutely fascinating. This chunky liquid that I mentioned, the scientific word for this is chime. It sounds like chum, which is blended up chunky liquid that you give to animals. So, <laughs> all right. I mean, I see it. <laughs> Chime, Brittany. I like it though. It's like chime, like a clock. Yeah, it's C H Y M E, not C H I M E. Not to get confused with the beautiful sound of chimes. <laughs> okay, so there's actually two kinds of digestion that our body uses to break down food to make chime and pass it through the intestines. One is the chemical digestion, which is the stomach acid, the enzymes, all those like fancy things that break our food down into the chunky liquid. But then we have the mechanical digestion. Oh, let me guess. Come on. You got it, Brittany. That's by chewing my food. (gasps) (laughs) Grandma was right. (laughs) 
<laughs> she knew that I needed to do mechanic digestion before chemical digestion. Darn it, Nana. <laughs> Nana knows all. <laughs> if you listened to the last episode, then remember what we said about if you have SIBO, which is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, then if you have that, then the bacteria are in your small intestines. Throwing a party! And they're waiting. (laughs) (laughs) They are waiting for you to not chew your food good and then for your stomach to slack off a little. Because it's actually pretty hard for your stomach to take food and break it down into that chunky liquid. I mean, whoa. (laughs) But it's hard for your stomach to do it without help. (laughs) And then it has to pass through a really, really small hole in order to get from the stomach to the small intestine. So it's not like a really large hole. So it's a lot of work for your stomach to do. It's tired. And I learned that because I had gastritis in my stomach. I wasn't having any acid. And even though I was taking enzymes and HCL for my stomach, I still, because my stomach wasn't working as well, I was like, oh, my God, I have to do the extra work with the mechanical digestion and chew and chew and chew and chew. Because guess what happens if an undigested piece of food gets in the intestines where the SIBO lives? That little quaint party turns into a rager. (laughs) Raging party! (laughs) They're in there praying. Those bacteria in the gut. Please, let a big chunk come through. Please, (laughs) please, mother. Pass us a big morsel. Pass us a big piece. Please don't let her chew her food all the way. We need to feed this entire group of bacteria down here. We're all hungry for the pizza and beer. Big chunk of pizza. Big bit of beer. (laughs) You can also help your digestion by taking digestive enzymes or HCL supplements, hydrochloric acid supplements, to help with your digestion. And these would be helping with the chemical digestion. I took both of these when I had low stomach acid and I was having trouble digesting my food. And I figured out that I had low stomach acid because I'd been diagnosed with gastritis and low stomach acid can accompany that. And also, my digestive symptoms were indicative of it. And when I took hydrochloric acid and digestive enzymes, I saw improvement. And I think this is a good point when it comes to using supplements for digestion, or really for anything, is to work with your doctor on how long you're going to be on them. My understanding with hydrochloric acid and enzymes to support your stomach acid is that it's typically temporary maybe two, three, six months, etc., to support your digestion while you're working on the underlying issues so that you can bring up your stomach acid back to where you don't have to take these supplements anymore. So the next tip we want to talk about is rest and digest mode. And as we mentioned, if you listened to our last episode about this, is that fight or flight inhibits digestion. So when your body is in fight or flight mode, It basically conserves all of the energy from all other operations and functions of your body to allow you to fight or flight. Wait, why would I be in fight or flight? Because you're having stress and anxiety. So that's why anxiety is called fight or flight mode and so is stress. When you're in fight or flight mode, you're not in rest and digest mode. Ah, rest. Which is why you need to slow down. It even has digest in the terminology. Rest, chew, and digest. (laughs) 
Because if you're under stress or under anxiety, your stomach actually ceases digestion. And I have felt this as somebody who suffers with anxiety, being like, why does it feel like nothing's happening? Because nothing was happening. (laughs) So please do yourself a favor, rest and digest. Well, how do I rest and digest, Brittany? Like, should I eat in the car on my way to work? No. Oh. Well, should I eat when I'm in a rush, like when I have to go out the door in five minutes to just shove my food down my face really quickly, but trying to chew, but not really having the time to chew because I have to eat the whole plate in five minutes. There's like five problems with that. One, mindful eating is very nice to practice enjoying your food. Two, not chewing means you're not doing your mechanical digestion. And three, when you're rushing and you're under pressure, your body stops digesting. So it's just going to sit there like a rock. And isn't it nice to rest and digest by candlelight? Oh. Doesn't candlelight improve everything? Is that why, like, romantic dinners, they're like, okay, these beautiful plates of food with candlelight and romantic music. It's not to, like, woo each other. It's to woo our stomach into digestion. (laughs) That's what it's for. (laughs) I like that a lot better. (laughs) So the next tip we want to talk about is actually taking steps to heal your gut. We mentioned in the last episode about gut dysbiosis, where the bad bacteria take over. Oh, God. Actually, that's happening to me right now. <laughs> Yay, bad bacteria. <laughs> it is. But she's, she's healing her gut. I'm healing my gut. So you could have the bad bacteria take over, <laughs> or your gut could be just super inflamed. I've had all of that. And probably all at the same time at some point. <laughs> <laughs> my gut just like literally. Your gut's a mess. <laughs> it's, it's so irritated. I think healing your gut is one of the biggest steps to just overall feeling better with our digestion, overall feeling better with our bowel disturbances. Make your gut happy, okay? I'm trying, Minnie. <laughs> I know you I'm are. I'm trying. My gut's never happy. <laughs> it hasn't been for a very long this time. This gut, I mean, seriously, he's just, he's He's never... got a lot of guts, okay, for being a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I moved to change the phrase pain in my butt to pain in my gut. Because that's where I feel way more pain. (laughs) Nothing's a pain in my butt anymore. It's all a pain in the gut. It's much more annoying when your gut's in pain than when your butt's in pain. That's so true. My butt is hardly ever in pain. But my gut's always in pain. (laughs) (laughs) The gut's always roiling. (laughs) Now we want to talk about fermented foods. If you like them, eat them. If you don't like them, don't eat them. As simple as that. No, but if you don't like fermented foods, don't force yourself to eat them. But if you like them, I think they're a really nice thing to include. My understanding is that the fermented foods that have been properly fermented and that contain live bacteria may be beneficial for gut health for some people. I love fermented foods, although unfortunately... Histamine intolerance hates fermented foods. So. They're so good. <laughs> they're so good. It's so funny because all these things that are good for your gut, like fermented foods or bone broth or some probiotics, are really bad for histamine intolerance. Of course they are. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> ironic. It's just really, it's just so ironic. Some of the fermented foods you can try are things like kefir, kimchi, mm. kombucha sauerkraut. So you can buy these things or you can make them yourself without too much effort. Like I have made all of these things. I used to make a killer kombucha 
We had kimchi making parties. Oh, <laughs> do you remember our first kimchi making party? It was too salty the first time we got better. <laughs> yeah, we make a pretty awesome kimchi. And then I used to make sauerkraut, although when I had roommates a few years ago, like they, <laughs> they didn't really, love that. <laughs> no, like they liked the kombucha because I was like, here, drink some. But then they were not into the sauerkraut because it's pretty smells, strong odor. <laughs> smells intense, but tastes really good. At the beginning, like, it, there's so many resources online if you want to get a hand at making your own fermented foods. But once you invest that initial time and energy to learn how to make it, it's pretty easy. Like, making kimchi or sauerkraut or kombucha or kefir is, is pretty easy. It's nice because, it, one, it tastes amazing. Two, it's homemade so you know exactly what goes into it. It's rewarding in so many ways. Unless you have histamine intolerance. Yeah, then then we don't recommend. But <laughs> for the average person, these things are really good for you. <laughs> but the thing about fermented foods is that it has a lot of these good bacterias, the good ones that feed the gut. And then also the fermentation process starts digestion for you. The food so is like pre-digested when it oh. comes in. So you Still should do the mechanical and chemical. Well, chemical you probably do unless your stomach acid is just shot. But you should still do the mechanical chew, 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 taste, taste, taste to candlelight with romantic music. Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about how what we eat affects us and what's in the foods that we eat. We don't talk about that a lot. No, no, not at all. <laughs> we never mentioned no, that No, we've never talked about food. No. But something we, we haven't mentioned, <gasps> and not sarcasm, haven't mentioned, is thinking about what we're drinking and what's in what we're drinking. And most of us are probably drinking lots of water. Good way to stay hydrated. But there's often a lot of additives in our water, depending on where you live in the world. This could include anything from sediment, which is normal in like well water, city water, all the way to additives like fluoride. I noticed personally that water, first of all, tasted really bad out of the tap. And two, that it made me feel unwell. And it actually made my stomach hurt if I drank a full glass of water. I would have cramping in my stomach. I'm just drinking water. Like, why do I have cramping in my stomach? But it was actually affecting me. So I switched to bottled water, which is not great for the environment because I was using all those bottles and I didn't really like it, but I noticed that it wasn't having the same effect on me. And so I did some research about what's different between spring water, bottled water, tap water, and started to learn all about the sediment and the additives that are in our water. I agree with Brittany that our tap water is disgusting. And I don't know if changing my water has helped my gut health, but I do know, like Brittany, that it's definitely helped with my stomach aches. And it's also helped with my IC urgency. So buying a water filter has been a game changer in keeping me hydrated without wanting to vomit every single time I drink water. And I like that it removes potential contaminants and pharmaceutical runoff and other pollutants that I don't want to be ingesting. When it comes to your water, if you want to know what's in your water, what additives or contaminants are in your water, you can do a couple things. You can use quick test strips at home. You can test your water with a local lab by sending them a sample. And also your county should have local information on your tap water. 
When it comes to water filters, there are different types of filters. So there's things like carbon filtration, reverse osmosis, and ion exchange. And within those, there's hundreds of different filters at different price points. And there's also a difference between water filters and water purifiers. Many water filter companies actually publish their filtration lab results on their website. But it's really important to look for filters that are NSF or ANSI certified. And I didn't know this when I bought my water filter, unfortunately. So, but basically NSF certification is a certification that the water filter will actually reduce the contaminants that the manufacturer claims, such as chlorine or lead, mercury, etc. Brittany and I bought the Berkey water purification system. And we do love it and we're really happy with it. For me, it's worked for what I wanted in a water filter. But unfortunately, since purchasing it, I learned that Berkey does not have the third-party certification, such as the NSF Standard 53 certification or like the WQA Gold Seal certification and like other basically certifications that are well-known among water filter companies. So yeah, that's like really disappointing because they don't have this third-party certification to back up the claims that they make about water purification on their website. That's disappointing and sad, but I am keeping my Berkey. It had a high upfront cost and it lasts for several years. Maybe when it's time to replace the filters, I'm going to take a look at other options that are NSF certified. You know, because I do think It's important to me to know that my water is actually filtering out what it claims to be filtering out. So now Brittany is going to tell us how happy purifying her water has made her. Very, very happy. Sounds really silly, but it made water feel really special because honestly, the taste is out of this world. It's like what comes out is this beautiful, crystal clear taste like glacier air no it tastes water (laughs) if you go from if you like drink tap water and our tap water is pretty gross in our city like it tastes like tastes like band-aids yeah (laughs) what a good description but yeah there's definitely a taste yeah and And it's funky (laughs) (laughs) and then you get the water the berkey the water filtration system and you have berkey water like you'll never go back when guests come over, I often do a blind taste test with them because they don't believe me. It's my favorite thing. So what I do is I make them drink tap water and they're like, yeah, that tastes normal. Then I have them drink Berkey water. That's so sad that that Band-Aids taste tastes normal. normal. Well, they drink the Berkey water and they're like, whoa, that tasted really different. Like it tasted like nothing. Oh, my gosh. I have a huge reaction. And then I say, now drink the tap water again. And my favorite part is when <laughs> You're the evil. disgusting look on their face after they taste that tap water for the second time. Because they didn't believe that it actually was such a big deal until they tasted it for themselves. And then usually they go, oh, that's awful. I'm like, I know. So it really does make a marked difference. And obviously other filtration systems can do this too, where they can take your smelly tap water and they can change it. They can transform it to a non-smelly non-band-aid tasting water. Ah, the bliss. The next thing that we want to mention is intermittent fasting. 
And you may have heard about this. Intermittent fasting is when you fast for a predetermined amount of time. For example, a lot of people follow what's called a compressed eating window. And I know Brittany and I both do this. Like we both eat within an eight-hour period. I eat between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m., which is eight hours. And then I don't eat from 4 p.m. until 8 a.m. in the morning. So I have a 16-hour window in which I'm doing the intermittent fasting and I'm not eating during that time. There are so many benefits to intermittent fasting, but it can also have downsides and be harmful to some people. And evidence is showing that people assigned female at birth versus people assigned male at birth can have different benefits and risks due to the biology of the human body. So we definitely recommend that you do your own research on this. And we put a link in the show notes about intermittent fasting and people assigned female at birth. But, you know, to mention one of the risks is that if it puts your body in a perceived state of stress or scarcity, then it can affect your hormones, your menstrual cycle, or your fertility. So I think it's important to talk to your doctor before starting intermittent fasting. And also intermittent fasting is a name that encompasses different types of fasting. So this could be anything from what Brittany and I do, where we have our eight-hour compressed eating window, to, you know, it could be eating one meal a day and fasting the other 23 hours. It could be eating one day on, one day off. It could be eating normally all week, and then one day a week, you fast. So there are different ways to do intermittent fasting. I think the longer the fast, the more stressful it can be on your body. So if you do intermittent fasting, it should provide you benefits. And you should feel that it's like somewhat natural and intuitive to you. Like that's why Brittany and I do the 16-hour fasting only. We don't do anything longer than that because like in my own case, if I eat dinner by 4 p.m., I'm actually not hungry afterwards, and it's really easy for me to wait until breakfast. And sometimes, like sometimes I have, I don't know, like a craving or something in the evening, but I realize that it's not a hunger. It's more like, ooh, I'm going to watch TV and I want to eat like a bag of chips or something. So then, like I ignore those urges. But if I feel hungry... Like if it's like 8 p.m., my stomach is rumbling and I feel hungry, I feel like dizzy or my blood sugar or something, then absolutely I'm going to go eat something nutritious to satisfy my hunger. Because again, it's about being intuitive. It's about doing what's best for my body, not being rigid or pushing through intense hunger or starving myself or anything like that. It's about having awareness and paying attention to your body, and paying attention to the signals that it's giving you. I really like intermittent fasting because it gives my digestion a break. Why would it need a break, Brittany? Because every time I put food in it, it's like, whoa, 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 mm-mm, no, whoa, no, whoa, no. <laughs> hold on, wait, hold on, whoa, no, hold on, whoa. Isn't that your intestines, I don't know, one of its one and only functions to digest your food? Isn't that its job? I mean, you'd think so. However, 
When I eat, I get a stomachache. Or I'll get to have diarrhea later. Oh, fun. Or immediate heartburn. Ooh. So I love that it gives me a break from all of those symptoms. And it gives my gut a break from actually doing the digesting so I can take a break because I just think it's really tired. So we want to be clear that intermittent fasting is not something like, oh, I'm hungry, but I'm not going to eat or I'm going to put myself in like a dangerous blood sugar situation. Like that's not what intermittent fasting is. I think a lot of people hear about intermittent fasting and they're like, oh, my God, but aren't you hungry if you don't eat after 4 p.m. and you don't eat until breakfast the next morning? Brittany, are you hungry now that you know how to properly do intermittent fasting? Like, do you feel hungry in the evenings? At first, a little bit. But after I figured out how to intentionally pack my nutrients into that eight-hour window and learn how to make sure that I was taking advantage of putting in enough fats and enough vegetables and enough nutrients so that I wasn't hungry or hangry and my body got kind of used to the process, Once my eating window is over, I actually don't even think about food anymore. It's not something that I'm like, oh, I wish that I could eat. My body is not hungry. My body is used to this system, and it's also getting enough nutrients during that window that it doesn't need anymore afterwards. Yes, Brittany. Yes to when you just said, when my eating window is over, I don't even think about food anymore. Oh, that is so freeing, isn't it? For me, that is the best part about intermittent fasting is that when my eating window is over, I am not hungry. I don't even have to think about food all evening. I am free. Oh, I'm free from the chains of eating until breakfast the next morning. Now, we mentioned filtering our water and intermittent fasting because these are things that have helped Brittany and I personally with our digestive issues. One more thing that I want to mention here that's helped me a lot is no longer drinking sparkling water, which is also known as carbonated water or seltzer water. (sighs) Now, I love sparkling water, especially my fresh, non-Band-Aid tasting filtered water. Get a little sparkle in there. I cannot tell you how satisfying it is when I drink sparkling water with my meal, but... Unfortunately, it was causing me some very weird acid reflux symptoms, and it was causing this like gnawing feeling in my tummy that at first I thought was hunger, and I was trying to eat more and more to like get rid of that feeling, but it actually wasn't hunger. It was acid reflux. Woo! (laughs) So, no more sparkling water for me, and no more weird gnawing feeling in the tummy for me. So I think sometimes it's just worth exploring with our digestive health and our digestive disturbances. It can also be really important to not only look at our food and look at what we're eating, but look at what we're drinking as well. The final thing we wanted to mention is about supplements. Ugh, I love my supplements. Can't survive literally without my supplements. Says the girl who takes... (laughs) 20 plus supplements a day. It's fun to watch her take her supplements. It's like, I'm going to take this blue one and this red one and this yellow one that's the size of my thumb. And then I'm going to, it's just like a little candy bag, but of supplements. She made them sound like M&Ms, but actually they're all white <laughs> because none of them have colors added to them. But I know, in but Brittany's in my fantasy mind, world, they look it was like, like jewels, okay. opening, oh, I was going to say bag of Skittles, but yes, I do like <laughs> jewels more. Although that's I feel I like of. if you ate a jewel, it would that really would not go scratch well. down the gut. Yeah. 
I didn't like taking pills when I was a kid, so I would always think they were some kind of magical thing, like a, ooh, a treasure, and it made it easier for me to take pills. So I just like to think of a bunch of pills as a box of jewels. (laughs) There's a lot of different supplements that you can take to help the gut. And if you go online and do a quick little research, you could find lists of these supplements. Some of these supplements might help the gut lining or reduce inflammation or even help with the digestion. So we're going to list a couple, but encourage you to go find some more research. Definitely talk to your doctor before you start taking anything. So some of the ones that we have taken or have researched ourselves are things like slippery elm or DGL, which is licorice, L-glutamine, collagen, which is a very common one many people have heard of, marshmallow root, peppermint, not peppermint candies, no candy canes, Amy. Oh, I actually cannot eat candy canes, but I love candy canes. I know you love them. (laughs) Oh, candy cane. Why did you say they're peppermint? Now I'm just thinking about candy canes. And then Christmas, and then Christmas trees. (laughs) And then Santa. We always make our way to Santa. (laughs) No one has left a review yet in the name of Santa. Like we one time asked several months ago, can anyone please... Leave a review as Santa Claus. Change your nickname on Apple Podcasts <laughs> to Santa Claus or Little Nicky as he goes by on the streets of the Arctic. Little Nicky is his street name, yeah. But it's Lil, like L-I-L. Lil, L-I-L. Yeah, yeah, with an apostrophe. Lil Nicky. Yeah. <laughs> so the peppermint version, I mean, is the tea or a gel capsule. But also aloe vera is a really common one a lot of people have heard of. Oh, yeah. Cabbage juice, all that vitamin K, and then chamomile tea. If any of those sound intriguing, which a lot of them do, then just do some research, talk to your doctor, and maybe you can start adding one to your diet. So Brittany and I joke that I take a bunch of supplements, jewels, I think we said, every single day. But that's because at one point when I was working with my naturopath, I was taking like eight supplements a day. But now that I'm done with all of the gut health protocols, I'm just back to taking my Normal supplements, which is just two supplements every single day. So like I said earlier about the digestive supplements, the same thing applies here. You know, a big question is, if I take a supplement, how long am I going to be on them? Am I taking them temporarily to support my gut or digestion while I work on underlying causes? Or am I only going to use them like in a flare situation or when I have a tummy ache? Having clarity around why I'm taking a supplement is really important. And it's a lot different than just being like, oh, I I just like heard this was good for the gut. So I'm just going to start taking it every single day. And I used to do that. I'd be like, oh, I heard this is really good for the gut. So I'm going to take it daily. And next thing I knew, I was on all these supplements that half of them weren't even doing anything. And they were expensive. And I didn't have a plan to like work on my underlying causes. And I think having that clarity around why we're taking a supplement is important because like, yes, I think in many ways feeling better can involve a lot of trial and error, but I also think that it's easy to go down the rabbit hole of, okay, I'm going to try every single thing to see if it helps me. And maybe you're just spending money unnecessarily or something that you're taking is doing you more harm or there's a better way to address the situation like trying to look at underlying causes if there are any. And I think a good goal with our gut health is 
trying to improve our gut health so that we don't need to take the supplements anymore, at least so that we don't need to take them daily and maybe we just take them once in a while during a flare. And of course, you need to work with your doctor on this. Supplements may interfere with the prescription medications that you're on. And additionally, the supplement industry is not regulated nearly as much as prescription drugs are. And so quality control for purity, strength, and ingredients of dietary supplements may be lacking with some companies. There are so many different ways that we can help our gut. And I think that it's good to try different things because the ones that are going to work for you are going to depend on what is the cause of your gut problems. So all this information we really put together through a little bit of research, but honestly through like experimental learning, because I have healed an unhappy gut three different times in over a decade. Let me guess. The first one was your constant and chronic diarrhea. Ah, the good old constant and chronic diarrhea. Yes, that was the first time my gut was all messed up. And the way that I helped my gut and helped those symptoms really lessen and eventually like severely diminish and almost I hardly ever have diarrhea anymore is different than the way that I healed my gut the other times. So like in that case, I really had to change my diet. I had to go paleo. I had to start intermittent fasting. I was taking a lot of aloe vera and L-glutamine and chamomile tea and different supplements for my gut. And that was really great. And I saw a lot of healing just by doing those simple, sounds simple, but can be difficult to enact, but doing those things. And then the gastritis hit, which presented a whole new load of symptoms. And it, gastritis was a problem originating in my stomach with my stomach lining. I got it because I was, unfortunately, I was just popping non-steroidal anti-inflammatory painkillers. So NSAIDs, I was just popping those like every single day because I was looking for serious pain relief from my undiagnosed endometriosis that I had no idea how to handle or deal with, that no doctor knew what it was. Because it was all in my head and there was nothing wrong with me. So it was just me and the painkillers. And unfortunately, they caused very serious side effects and they caused me very serious gastritis. And in order to help my stomach heal and to get through that, I had to turn to the mechanical digestion and the better chewing of my food and the chemical digestion of taking enzymes and supplements to help me digest eating a lot of soups and smoothies and really managing my stress. And then it got better. And then now, here I find myself face-to-face with the histamine intolerance and the mast cell problems. And that has various causes, but one of the really big causes is from my gut bacteria. And so I had to bring in the big guns and I had to bring in a functional medicine doctor who has so much more experience and research and knowledge at dealing with the microbiome than I do. And so, you know, for this problem that I'm having, I have been relying so heavily on my functional medicine doctor who did my stool sample and knew what herbs and probiotics to prescribe to help my bacteria. And it has been helping me so much. Because here's the thing. All of the tips that we've given for improving your gut health are great, 
but they're only going to go so far if you have an untreated infection or a gut pathogen or high levels of opportunistic bacteria in your gut the way that I did, for example. I'm so happy that you've been able to heal your gut using the protocols of this doctor. Like, it's incredible. Me too. I just Me I feel too. so fortunate that you've had good results. I remember how hesitant you were to go with a functional medicine doctor. And you were really excited when you found them, but you kept asking me, should I do it? Should I see them? Should I really go for it? Should I go through it? Yeah, it was just, it was hard to take that plunge to see this doctor because one, I am a person who is like super DIY, like super do it yourself. And I love researching and learning and trying new things. And I'm often really hesitant to pay someone to help me with something that I think I could do myself a little bit of time and effort. But This time it was obvious that it just wasn't something that I could do DIY, just like, I don't know, excision surgery wasn't something that I could. You can't DIY that. (laughs) I tried, but no, just kidding. she did not. She did not. I was like, okay, Suki, my cat. Okay, scalpel. (laughs) Scrape it out. (laughs) No, no. Pass me the iodine. (laughs) All right, Suki, if I pass out, you just lick off the blood. Just keep going. Just keep mama going. (laughs) Okay, you just put... Push and hold the nine on the phone that we'll call Brittany and then give a little chirp. <laughs> okay, Brittany. She'll know. She'll come over. I'm on my way, Suki. <laughs> and then two, I was really hesitant to go with this doctor because most functional medicine doctors don't work inside of the U.S. insurance system. So, you know. Money, money. Lots of money, money. Money, money. Oh, thank you for that song. <laughs> And now you've switched doctors, right? You're seeing a naturopath. Yeah, I decided to change to a naturopath because while the functional medicine doctor did an excellent job with my gut health, now are focusing on my hormone health. I just didn't feel like he was like when we began looking into it, I just didn't get the feeling that he was as knowledgeable about my hormones as he had been about my gut health. And so I felt like I would get better results and a better return from my money with someone who was more focused on hormonal health. And so I found a natural path that specializes in hormones, and she's a little bit cheaper. Woohoo! Better results for less money. <laughs> that's what we all want, right? <laughs> the American dream. <laughs> well, I think that's a really great example, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, of taking what your doctor recommends and thinking about that. and. If you decide that it doesn't sound like it's the path you want to take or it doesn't sound like maybe they have all of the answers or it just doesn't feel like they're as knowledgeable as you would have hoped, you can change doctors or get a second opinion. And it's really good that you did that when you sensed that maybe his specialty wasn't in hormones the way it had been in your gut health. I'm a big fan of second opinion, but I think for me when I'm paying out of pocket, it's like, no, I just need, Can't a, new, afford a, I just need a new doctor. <laughs> I need a second opinion from a doctor that I'm now switching to. (laughs) Yes, a permanent second opinion. I found out that naturopaths in the U.S. in some states are actually covered by insurance. So if you're interested in going to a naturopath, depending on what state you live in, it might actually be covered by your insurance and your co-pays. Not in our state, of course. And I just want to clarify that I'm not giving the blanket recommendation that Everyone go see a functional medicine doctor or a naturopath, etc. For me, it was what I needed post-excision as one of my puzzle pieces to improving my quality of life. But 
again, for you, your time, energy, money, it could be better spent on something different like excision, pelvic floor therapy, hormone replacement therapy, a urologist, etc. And I'll also point out something very important, which is that there are major problems with both functional medicine and naturopathy. There is a general lack of evidence-based medicine overall with these practices. There is a reliance on unnecessary and even useless tests, some of which can be very, very expensive. There's unregulated supplements and hormones. And this is a major issue for a variety of reasons. I mean, first of all, considering how expensive it can be to see these types of practitioners, you know, and if what they're doing is useless or unhelpful and we're paying all of this money. And I think even worse is that with practices that are not evidence-based or science-based, they can actually cause us harm in some cases. So I wrote more about issues with naturopathy and functional medicine in depth on my website. Um, I've linked it in the show notes today. So please take a look at it. If you were thinking about using a functional medicine doctor or a naturopath, I did not know any of these things when I first turned to functional medicine. I did recognize some red flags with my first practitioner, which is why I changed to another practitioner a few months later. The first one was a functional medicine doctor. The second one that I changed to was a naturopath. And I feel like I was really lucky with the naturopath. I had a really good, helpful experience, but my own personal story with this specific practitioner doesn't negate the fact that overall there is a lack of evidence-based practices within these fields. Healing your gut health, like so many things, takes time. And that can be really frustrating because when we're feeling so poorly and we want to just take the pill and it just makes us feel better, please, that's all we want. That's just unfortunately not the reality with your gut health because it's alive and thriving with both good and bad things. There's a hundred trillion of them that all need to be affected. Yes, exactly. So it takes a lot of time and there's some trial and error involved in figuring out what works for your body, what doesn't. It can take months. In Amy's case, it's taken about six months, but the effect was worth that six months and all the money. <laughs> well, for the histamine, it took about six months to see a difference. But mm -hmm. when I was having all the diarrhea, it only took about, honestly, like a week and a half after changing my diet to even just start seeing really remarkable results. Yeah. So some of these things can be more immediate depending on how extreme the change is. Some of them are fostering an ecosystem inside of your body. How cool. So it's going to take rain, a little longer. I have a rainforest in my body. <laughs> Essentially, yes. That'd be so cool. If I could shrink myself to mini size and then like swallow myself and then go hang out. Oh, wow. It's in like the... Osmosis Jones the movie. <laughs> and then I could poop <laughs> myself out and become big again. Wow. Okay, that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, all I wanted to say is just be patient because your gut is changing and it needs time to heal. It takes a while, depending on what you're trying to get it to do for you. I hope that all of the tips that we've shared today will help you to feel excrementally better. <laughs> That's exponentially and incrementally. Oh, and my God. Excrement all I wanna, into one. I want to feel excrementally better. <laughs> 
So we would love if you let us know what kind of symptoms are you having? Is it constipation? Is it diarrhea? Is it gastritis? Is it a lot of burping? Is it a lot of flatulence? Is it a lot of bloating? Is it brain fog? Is it anxiety? Is it skin problems? Is it eczema? Is it hives? Is it a rash? So many different things that can be affected by our gut health. So we would just love to know if you want to reach out to us, let us know what's going on with your gut health. How are you healing it? How's that going for you? You can reach out to us on Instagram at in16yearsofendo. You can always go to our website, which is in16years.com. You can connect with us there via email and you can find our support page if you want to buy us a coffee. Thank you so much for listening today and we will talk to you next time. Bye.